I believe that everyone has a gift to give this world. I have personally worked with thousands of people, and I have never met somebody that I didn't believe in once I got to know them. And if that's the case, I think we could also argue that everyone has ideas, ideas that could make your business better if they were given the right conditions for them to be asked. Well, our guest today, David Dye, is the co-author of Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. And he has a formula for how we leaders can tap into our employees' innovative side and ultimately improve the business. David Dye, welcome to How I Turned the Corner. Oh, the, uh, I'm so glad to be here, Kendra. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, so tell us, in a nutshell, what is a courageous culture? Sure. Well, let's start with culture. And our favorite definition of culture uh, comes from Seth Godin. So I'm sure your listeners, many of them will know Seth Godin, marketing guru. He says that culture is simply people like us do things like this. It's the way people like us do. And so in a kind of a normal culture that's not necessarily courageous, safe silence tends to be the norm. You know, people keep their head down. They're just doing the work. Like, I'm not speaking up. I'm not raising my hand. In a courageous culture, people like us raise our hand. We're speaking up. We're, we're bringing problems to the team, to one another. We're bringing solutions, ideas, things that will improve the employee experience, the customer experience, improve the quality of a service product or constituent experience, depending on what kind of work we're doing. Okay, that's great. So, so then you know, give us, you, you give in your book, a lot of different ideas. Like you have the idea of a curiosity tour. You have, you know, um, the idea that some, you know, people are afraid to speak up and how to get them to speak up and the sort of the, the silent people that you know have something to say. Share with us, just, you know, pick from that list or all of them. What are some of those ideas that you, you invite when you, in your book? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll take a step back to what we're trying to overcome here. I think for anyone listening, if you want to get create a culture where people are contributing consistently, and that's the norm, you have to understand what keeps that from happening. And so some of those barriers, uh, if you look at Dr. Amy Edmondson's research, so kind of the founder, the one who popularized this idea of uh, psychological safety in the workplace, she talks about the fact that people are uh, more likely to hang on to a bad experience they've had in the past. It's, it's human nature. Uh, and we've encountered this in our research too. You know, talking with clients and, and or somebody, we, we surveyed over 1,500 people in a variety of different companies worldwide for our Courageous Cultures research. And they'll share an experience that they had 10, 15 years ago. It wasn't at their current company. It was with a totally different manager where, oh yeah, I raised my hand. I contributed an idea, but I got shot down. I'm never doing that again. And then people also are quite likely to discount the future benefit of an idea they might share. And so they're sitting there doing their work and they're, you know, I've got a, a way of doing that. I, I should probably tell somebody, man, ah, no, it's not going to make a difference. And so those headwinds are important to understand because you've got these beliefs that people have that their, their leaders don't really want new ideas. They're stuck in their way of being and doing. That if I were to contribute something, it's not really going to make a difference. And uh, and there's the downside of if I do, what's the risk that I'm taking to have that happen? So we want to understand that even if you're very human-centered and you really do want people's ideas, those are the headwinds that you're fighting against. And so when we get into solutions for that, one of the most basic is to ask. 
to get really clear for yourself on where you need a great idea. What's a problem that you're trying to solve right now? What's a strategic opportunity you're trying to take advantage of? Or, or maybe there's an efficiency that you need to improve in a process or product or what have you. Where do you need a great idea? And then go ask for it. And that sounds so simple. But the reality is, as we've been doing this work with corporations and businesses and nonprofits and government en entities around the world, and, you know, as we'll share these things, a lot of people will say, a lot of leaders will say, well, hey, listen, David, I've got an open door. I mean, people can bring me anything. They know that. And that's true. It really is true. However, there's two problems with an open door. One is it's passive. It still takes the person stopping what they're doing, taking the time to call or log in or, or actually physically walk if they're in person through that metaphorical open door. The other problem is frequently people don't know they have a good idea to share. And so I, I had this happen, uh, share in the book and, and it was in my own leadership career. I was chief operating officer and we were facing a increase in health insurance premiums and it was really causing havoc with our budget for the next year. Or so the CFO, I'm the CEO and our CEO, we huddled in a room with spreadsheets all over the room and, you know, for a couple hours and we're banging out solutions and everything. And we finally come up with a good plan. So we say, great, high five, good, we got that solved. And I take it down the hall and I walk by Gina's office. Gina was our executive admin uh, in that organization. And she knew that we were working on this problem. And I said, yeah, so here's what we're thinking. I think we got a solution and I run it by her. And she starts analyzing and telling us, well, here's how that's going to affect this person and that person and this person who's life circumstances she really knew in a more intimate way and it was very clear that the impact that decision would have we didn't like it and we were mm -hmm. not done solving the problem and what's more gina needed to be in the room to contribute was gina withholding her idea no she didn't know she had insight that was needed to solve that problem so as a leader that's the number one. There's so many different offshoots and different tools, but as a leader, you want to create a courageous culture, get clear about where you need a great idea and start asking people for their ideas, their solutions. It's that simple and yet that hard. And there's a lot more that goes into it, but I'll stop there and, and we can take it mm -hmm. to the next level. Yeah, no, I think it's a really, so there's a couple of things I really want to call out that you just said, because I think this can be overlooked by leaders. I mean, I, I felt it myself as I was perusing your book. I didn't, I, I, I have the same way. I have an open door. Um, I also recognize as a leader that, uh, I create a very unique culture at my company. And people have often said to me, new employees, like I hear all the time when they're new, are you for real? <laughs> like, because they have been so damaged by prior employers. And I mm -hmm. do create such a different environment, which I'm extremely proud of. And the thing that I think is really remarkable about what you just outlined for us is that it has to be a specific problem that you're wanting solutions to, ideas for. We can't just say open-ended, like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do, we want your ideas. We have this open door. It needs to be, Hey, we have this challenge where we are not going to make ends meet with our healthcare situation, our current way we've got the benefit structured. Let's work together to figure out if we can come up with, and then you name the goal, right? The outcome. We want to hit this amount of money and it's got to be serving this, these types of people ideas, right? Is that's kind of how I'm summarizing what you just said. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, you know, just it's so important to 
get specific about that for because it's very hard for people if you just throw the doors open and say, hey, we need ideas to improve something, to make it better. That's really hard for people to think about. But if you can get very specific, it's much easier for our brains to start coming up with ideas when we've got something specific to think about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense. And so, so let's talk then about, I mean, what about those people who who have, you know, are going through recovery, right? Idea yeah. recovery, um, where they haven't, they haven't been invited before. Yeah. And, you know, what are some of your more creative ideas you bring out in the book of, of ways to, especially in our remote environment? How do you, how do you get those people to, to, to share? Yeah. So acknowledging again, where, so like you said, so they're in recovery because there's scar tissue and I have had bad experiences. And are you, and like, you know, the question that you get, are you for real? You know, <laughs> when our employees always wonder about that with us of like, do you really want all these ideas? Cause I got some and, and they don't hesitate to share because it's our, you know, we are the courageous culture people. So when you're running into the folks who are hesitant, um, a couple things. So first is to, on the cool side of I really do want ideas, sometimes you can start with what we call visible anonymity, which is you. everybody can see that everyone else is contributing, but what they're sharing is anonymous. So if you think about people in a room, that's handing everybody a note card, asking a question and saying, okay, write your answer, your best idea or your solution on the note card with no name. We'll collect them all, go through them, anonymize them and read them out. And then we can talk about the, the ideas apart from, you know, anybody's specific name. Everybody knows that they contributed, you know, and in the remote world, it's even easier than a note card because we've got this beautiful thing called chat. <laughs> and, you know, or if you really need to keep it anonymous, you know, a private direct message is still too connected. You can go with like a Google form and there's lots of different ways to collect people's input apart from their name. So that's the first step. If you've got people who are really wounded or cautious or mistrustful is to give them a way that, that we're all doing this, but you're so that you can put it in and feel a little bit safer. Then the critical part is what do you do with that? How do you respond? And so we call this responding with regard because sometimes you're going to get ideas that you can't use. They're not strategically aligned. Sometimes you get ideas that are not fully baked. They don't have all the relevant information or there's a piece that uh, that they just didn't know or hadn't thought about. Other times we were uh, talking to a large financial institution, uh, nationwide footprint in the United States, and they have a great way of collecting ideas. I was talking to the executive in charge and he said, you know, what's interesting, David, is half the ideas that we get are things we're already doing. Mm. So how do you respond to those ideas? And they weren't responding at all. And now what's that doing to the person who contributed? Ah, they're stuck in their way of thinking. They don't really care. They don't want none of that was true, but that's how they'd feel. And then, of course, you've got the fourth category of idea, which is the one that's ready. Let's try it. Let's give it a trial. So to respond with regard to any of those ideas and maintain and build momentum and start building that trust for people who are more cautious or wounded is gratitude, information, and an invitation. You start with gratitude. You're not saying thank you for the idea. The idea may or may not be good. It may or may not be useful. It may or may not be timely or usable right now. You're thanking them for the act of thinking and contributing because that's what you want more of. So we get more of what we celebrate and encourage, right? So we're going to say, hey, thanks so much for thinking about how we can improve here or how this can be better or 
whatever it is they were trying to do. Thank them for that effort. So thanks for thinking about how this can be better. And then add information depending on the kind of idea. Hey, your idea is so good. We're already doing it. Here's where you can learn more. Hey, your idea, uh, I see where you're going with that. Here's some other information that will be helpful. There's a regulatory constraint we have here. There's a law about this thing actually that exists. And then we also have uh, this department who would be involved. They've got this priority they have to meet in order to, to make all this work. Or if you can't use the idea at all, be honest about that. Hey, listen, right now, our number one priority is client retention, and that's where we have to spend our, our dollars right now. The, you've got some great acquisition ideas, but we're not going to be able to use those at the moment. Then, regardless of whatever information you had to share, you end with an invitation to continue thinking, to continue contributing. And if you had to flat out say, no, we can't use that, that's a great time for your invitation to be, hey, I'd love to get your thoughts on where it is that you actually need a great idea. So what is a problem you're trying to solve? So in, in flow, that looks like, hey, thanks so much for thinking about how we can how we can be better here. Really appreciate it. Hey, listen, there's some additional information here that'd be helpful for you to know, this regulation, this uh, competing priority. I'd love to get your thoughts on your idea with that additional information. Take some time, come back, and, and let's talk about it. Or, hey, uh, we're not going to be able to do that. Here's why, et cetera. Love to get your thoughts on how we can solve this acquisition, this uh, retention issue. If we can, you know, hang on to five percent more of our customers and, and lower our churn, what that could do. So, what's one idea you have in that department? Love to get your thoughts on that. So, we've encouraged them, given them information, and invited them to continue contributing. And so, that starts to change people's perception when they ask, "Are you for real?" And whether they ask it or not, everybody's asking it silently, right? Right. And they're thinking about, are you for real? Do you really want my ideas? Can I really trust you? So we've got a technique to help start getting some of those ideas in the, in the room and then a way to start responding, to start building that trust, building that safety and see that you really can be trusted with their thinking. I think that's so beautiful. And I think another part about that, that is, I think really important to highlight here is the is the um directness with it too and sort of the being so much more deliberate with the way you respond and i think a lot of leaders can get a little sloppy with that and just think oh well, we got all these ideas none of them are going to work and not realize the impact that they're going to have by not doing what you just kind of described in terms of addressing it yeah so i think that's a, a great point karen and so, i uh, often say that the the one of the if 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 you are really trying to do this, one of the places to be careful is with the leader, with the uh, people in your organization with whom you have the closest relationships. Because sometimes, you know, there's that old cliche that familiarity breeds contempt. Uh-huh. And where we might be very understanding and embracing and so forth with maybe a more junior person, uh, with our colleague who we've known for 10 years, we just cut through all that and just, oh, that was a dumb idea, blah, blah, blah. And not to do that. It, there's a temptation to just shortcut all that and it does the same damage. Mm-hmm. Well, and even worse, if they're in your leadership team, then that behavior trickles down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So tell me about what, what do you t- describe and tell our listeners about the curiosity tour? Sure. The, uh, the curiosity tour is another way when we're talking about uh, getting ideas and, and so on. Uh, and there are a number of questions, but basically it's, you're going around and if you, Think about old like management by walking around or those sorts of things. It's putting yourself near where people are doing their work. Now, if that's a remote environment, you're going to be doing that, logging in to, to with them that way. But 
the idea is taking one aspect of work or, or or something that they're doing and asking a question like you know oh tell me about that what are you doing show me how that works oh how'd you come up with that and not and asking with the intent of truly learning understanding and and acquiring knowledge not to respond correct you know um one of my favorites that I say favorites in quotes that drives me nuts is I'll show somebody an idea, something they've never thought of. And that immediate thing they do of, oh, well, why doesn't it do that? Have you thought about adding that? It's like, whoa, take a second and appreciate the awesomeness of what's already here. Right. And so that we're not coming with that attitude of looking for all the improvements, tweaks, enhancements, what's wrong? What? No, just appreciation and learning so that we are enriched by that and then able to one of the things that we talk about later in the book is practice the principle so that we can understand what's underneath those practices, the principles, so that we can spread those in appropriate ways. Do you do you get any pushback or any uh, kind of cure, or issues, I guess, with the different generations when it comes to these approaches? Do you have some of the companies and leaders you're working with, do they call out different generations? <laughs> Everybody likes to call out generations, but you know, my experience is people are people and, and yeah. there are sure there are generational differences. Digital natives have had different experiences than people who, you know, grew up before there was an internet. It's a, there are differences, but it's so important to know people for who they are. And so I would say that the differences run more personality based or person based. Uh, but there are those kinds of things and there are those pushback of, of, you know, I'm afraid. So some leaders, I'm afraid to open the door for ideas because I'm going to get a thousand dumb ideas and I don't want to have to tell everybody no. You know, well, in that case, they're setting themselves up. Let's start by where do you actually need a great idea? Let's get clear first before you throw the doors open. Ask for what you need. What do you need? And a lot of times leaders have not thought that through. They haven't taken the time to, to do that. Um, other times I'll, I'll hear some, and again, this can come from a 30 year old or a 60 year old. I don't need any ideas. I just need them to do what I tell them. <laughs> and <laughs> the good old command and control, the right? Good old command and control. And I understand that frustration. I mean, listen, I, you know, business owner myself, I've been in, in senior leadership roles for, for many, many years. And you, achieve a set of best practices over time and you know when you're as your organization grows and you've done a lot of testing and development and so forth and so this is the way this is our way of doing things but you have to always match that confidence with humility that says i can always grow and learn and, and know more than i do and so being open to okay tell me about what you're what you're thinking there what do you see as the opportunity and if they're missing something critical you have a chance back to responding with regard to thank them for thinking about how they to how you could be better and then when you add that additional information you're coaching them you're giving them some additional information that helps expand their thinking and now they've grown but they never would have had that opportunity to grow if you hadn't opened the door to the conversation and so knowing that you're open and that you will help guide them makes them more willing and able to contribute more meaningful ideas the next time. But you can't get more meaningful if you don't start with not so meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the reason I mentioned the generations is because I agree with you completely. I I mean, I remember myself as a 23-year-old, fresh out of college at IBM, when I, I sent an email to the CEO. I mean, I didn't 
no, I wasn't allowed to do that. Right. I just was excited. I had so many ideas. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I know. And, and I remember my, bo- my boss at the time very quietly reprimanded, not reprimanded me, but just mentioned the, you know, etiquette around all that. And, but I, but I, and I find that the younger generations, maybe because they're unscathed yet by being shut down, they're full of ideas. And I remember that when I was 23, I don't think it was because I was a Gen Xer, you know, at the, at the time, it was because I was young and, and just so yes. excited and ready to give and con- contribute. And many of my ideas, I'm sure, were completely unrealistic. And, um, and so, I think that's the reason I kind of bring it up is it feels like there can be a, a larger volume of ideas from people who are not yet, you know, not yet having going through idea recovery, I guess. And and we actually talk about that in the book in terms of uh, if you've got somebody like that and that is just full of ideas, uh, they may be a younger person for all the reasons you just said, or they may be what we call an idea grenadier. They're just like, you know, these are the folks who like, run at you, they pull the pin, throw you an idea and expect you to do something with it. And they're just constantly doing that. And it can be annoying. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've got somebody who's just got a ton of ideas, one of the best tools you can give them is what we call the idea model. And idea is an acronym. So I stands for interesting. This is a way for them to think through and vet their ideas. Say, listen, appreciate all your thinking here. Let me give you a tool that you can use. It's really going to help you dial these in so they can have the best chance of getting traction. I is interesting. Why is your idea strategically relevant? What needle is it going to move? What problem is it going to solve? That's, that's really meaningful for, for everyone. Um, D is for doable. So I interesting D doable. This means, do we have agency over it? Is this something that's in our control? And as a young person or an idea grenadier, it doesn't matter how old you are. You want to know that and have done your homework to explore that before you just go pitching ideas. So that people know you've thought it through. This isn't going to take an act of Congress for us to be able to take action on. We can actually do something here. And then E is engaging. Who else needs to be involved for this idea to get traction? Uh, do you need finance? Do you need IT? Why are they going to be reluctant? What resistance might you run into? And what what can you do or what conversations can you have? Or can you go talk to them first and get their buy-in? Sometimes if they're the ones supporting your idea and you walk in, you've got IT and finance are with you. That's half the sale, right? And then finally is A, I-D-E-A. A is for action. And these are what are the specific one or two next steps? A lot of times when eager, enthusiastic people are pitching an idea, they're really pitching a feeling or a thought, and they're not pitching the specific activity that needs to happen. So if you're trying to help somebody get a yes, what's the smallest next step that they can ask for? either for permission to do themselves or if they need that person to take action, what is that smallest yes that they can say, hey, would you mind doing this? And so there's that specific ask attached to it. So that idea model, interesting, doable, engaging, and actions, uh, if people, if you've got somebody who's eager and full of ideas, you can equip them with that, their ideas, they're going to throw out some of them and the ones that do make it to you, they will have thought through in more uh, detail. And for you, if you're wanting to share ideas and help your ideas get the most traction uh, with your senior team, with your board, whoever it might be that you're talking with, with your spouse, whoever it is, you can use the idea method too and help vet your ideas and then present them in that way. And they have the most chance of getting traction. Even if you get a no, ultimately, you're still seen as a strategic thinker who really cares. 
Well, I think that is a perfect spot for us to to stop this conversation. So for our listeners, this is a fantastic book full of so many actionable ideas, things we can do to create better environments for people to bring forth and help us help solve our problems ultimately. So I highly recommend you pick it up and um, and find some gems in it because you will for sure, just like we did today on this interview. David, thank you so much for joining me today on How I Turned the Corner. Now, Kendra, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me.